Hi, welcome back. Happy Pride Month. My name is Trisha Friedman. I am your host of the Be A Better Ally podcast. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. On this week, we get to hear from a journalism teacher as well as an educator who has really leveraged the power of the student newspaper to be a platform for advocacy. My name is Jennifer Stevens, and I am a journalism teacher and the creator of our student newspaper called The Bite at the American International School of Bucharest. My pronouns are she and her, and I run our LGBTQ plus group called Pride. Thank you so much for being with us today, Jennifer. And I should say, you know, knowing that you are a journalism teacher completely intimidated me when I was looking back over my questions and thinking, oh no, are these, are these going to be like up to par in, in, uh, <laughs> with your experience? But I, I do think your, your background in, in journalism is really interesting because one of the things that I, I say to folks a lot during uh, workshops is, you know, if you're interested in becoming a better LGBTQ plus ally, a lot of it is about questioning. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I think I'm imagining that that's, you know, work that you do with your students is really like, let's get, you know, curious about things. So I'm wondering, you know, in what ways is your context, both as a, you know, a journalism educator and as advisor for your school paper, in what ways is that a really ideal context for, um, you know, trying to foster, more LGBTQ plus allyship. We're just thinking about, you know, issues of advocacy in general. Well, great question. First of all, (laughs) Um, I think, I think it's such a great fit for so many different reasons. Um, It actually helped, helped foster this, this group in general um, because of an article that one of my students wrote. I think I'm such a proponent of student voice. I think um, I think that's the most important thing that I do is encourage student voice. And I think when you have something as public as our website, you know, we, we actually get quite a bit of traffic. And I think it empowers students um, to feel like it's important to do the work and it's important to, to ask the questions and, and get the information right because a lot, a lot of people will read it. Um, additionally, I also think that students listen to students um, and so if you're allowing these students to, to publish well, well-written, well-researched content that they're actually passionate about and they want people to listen to, these students are going to listen to their peers um, more so than maybe they would us, depending on the topic. And something that is as, as intimate to a lot of people or very personal um, as sexual identity or, or gender identification um, you know, they want to, they want to listen to their peers. They, I think there's such power in that student voice. And I'm, I'm so happy to be able to offer that to, to the school. Yeah. You know, I, I really love that you bring up kind of the power before behind the platform rather, um, in my previous role doing some digital literacy coaching, you know, we were looking a lot at student blogs and people were always sort of amazed at the reach that, you know, 16 year olds post could have not just within the community, but beyond. I'm wondering if you might have an anecdote to share actually about, you know, when that post, when that article went live and just sort of some of the responses, some of the things that you were hearing or seeing on your campus. Yeah, I actually have two, two anecdotes to talk about the power of, of student voice. Um, the first one that obviously comes, comes to mind was 
Uh, two years ago, one of my journalism students named Aries Brown wrote a great article. Um, it was called, um, you know, To Be Black at AISB about how she felt like she was being treated as one of the only African-Americans at our school. And it was so powerful. I mean, <laughs> to say that the shockwaves rippled through our school is, is quite the understatement. Um, within a day, we had, you know, 50 different comments on the article and everyone was talking about it on campus. Um, so much so that it was shared widely among our staff members um, on Facebook, uh, so much so that it was actually caught the eye of an editor at the BBC who contacted me and uh, republished her story, uh, which you can see on the BBC that um, last time I checked with the editor got over a million reads. Wow. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's, that's not typical. And now I have to tell, tell my students that, you know, this, this is an anomaly. Don't, don't expect to be republished on the BBC. You know, you might, but um, it, it was amazing to give this girl that platform to tell her story um, and to feel like her story mattered. You know, it mattered so much that the BBC picked it up. Um, and then that, that really opened the doors for conversations about necessary change and how we treat each other. Um, so since then, you know, we've published some really important articles that have changed the makeup of the school, uh, including one from a recent graduate named Mara Toma, who wrote an article, which I'll share the link with you to include. Um, about it's entitled Romania's LGBTQ plus community, why AISB needs to lead the charge on acceptance. And this was really a, a big part of how we were able to create an LGBTQ plus group at our school. Um, this, this came uh, three years ago after Romania um, voted on uh, leg legislation uh, to pass a referendum to define uh, family as, you know, a traditional family of a marriage between a man and a woman. They wanted it in the constitution. Um, it, was, it was luckily uh, voted down because of a lack of, a lack of voter turnout, but it, it fostered this, this great article um, highlighting this because a lot of students didn't know that that was happening. And um, it, it felt really important to, to tell people, you know, not just Romanians at the school, but everyone that's living in this coast country, we need to be talking about these issues. And, and the fact that, you know, a large group of people don't believe in, in gay marriage or, or equality and that really fired up the students. And it was amazing to see the reaction of Mara's article just because they didn't, they didn't really know about it and they didn't know the nuances. And you asked, um, you know, the importance of, of having a student newspaper, I think is having context because a lot, um, a lot of students, a lot of teenagers and even, even people our age and older um, are really relying on social media uh, for their news. Um, 
but the problem is is that they often you know read read headlines i think i saw some shocking statistic the other day that i think only 80 percent of people are maybe it's the other way around 20 percent of people actually get past the the headline but we share share stories anyway so they're just seeing headlines and not really understanding contextual components that are so necessary to understand the background. Um, why, why is this happening in this country? Um, you know, what's the history of this? And we have to understand context to make change. So Mara was very eloquently able to provide that context to our students in our community and really make people understand why it was a big deal and why our American International School really needed to lead the change um, and, and make change with, within the country. You know, and that's so, so powerful. And, you know, it also, it kind of builds a bridge on the last episode. Um, Kathleen Nagley, who's head of school at, at ISH, uh, International School of Helsinki was talking about, you know, we drastically underestimate, you know, student voice and, um, you know, what it can do in this context. And, you know, that piece about host country, culture is really important, but I'm, I'm really curious to know a little bit more about the school culture because, you know, it, it is one thing for somebody to kind of start the conversation, but it's another for that conversation to be sustained um, and, and to sort of be amplified. And I know that you just had Ally Week and we'll, mm-hmm. we'll get into that in a little bit, um, but I'm wondering what you could say about, you know, what, what's happening at your school culture where that is a conversation that not only wants to be had, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm guessing is being nourished in many ways by different mm-hmm. facets of, of the school. Um, uh, and, you know, and hopefully students who decided to use that platform and, and, you know, do that very vulnerable thing, feel like they have that support network at place. So could you walk us through, you know, I often get listeners saying, oh gosh, you know, but that would never happen at my school. <laughs> um, and, you know, every school is that school at some point, right? Until Absolutely. they aren't anymore. So, um, you know, can you walk us through a little bit of like what's happening there where a conversation like that does have the potential to be sustained and, and also is seen as an opportunity for, for change? Hmm. Uh, to be honest with you, our school is still that school. <laughs> um, you know, uh, when I arrived four years ago, um, uh, I don't think anyone would have ever thought that we would have a pride group. Um, people are still surprised that we have a pride group. Um, you know, I often hear, wow, how did you do that? Uh, especially in, in Romania, mm-hmm. um, you know, didn't you get a lot of, a backlash and, you know, there was a lot of fear. I think fear is, is the right word. Um, you know, there were a lot of, of whispering about, you know, people who had tried before and failed and, um, that, you know, well, what are the parents going to think? And, I, I kind of was like, you know, who cares? Um, I mean, of course, of course, you want to be, you want to be sensitive to to where you are and understand the makeup and understand that you know a, a huge part of of our population is, um, you know, uh, Christian Orthodox and and what that entails here, which you know, there's a lot of nuances and. Um, so you have to understand where that hesitancy is coming from and then an, a, approach it in a way that you can't really argue um, 
you know, you can't really argue against it. Uh, you know, we're not, we're not trying to, we're not trying to convert students, which, which was said um, a lot of times, you know, we are an international school and yes, we're, we're in Romania, but we also have Romanian queer students who have asked for representation and for a safe space and kids are at school the majority of, of their time. And so if they don't see themselves represented or accepted at school, I mean, what a horrible place to be. Um, so I guess, you know, there was, there was a lot, a, a lot of fear and, um, kind of how we started, how we started the group, um, is, you know, our director at the time had said, um, you know, I, obviously I know why you want to start this. And, uh, I had made it very clear that it wasn't necessarily me. Um, although I did want, want to start it as well, but students are asking for this. Um, and which I think is really important for any administrator to hear is that it's coming from the kids. And so he, he said, you know, I, I understand that, but there have been schools within our CISA, um, Central Eastern European Association of Schools, um, that, you know, there have been pretty severe repercussions because the clubs weren't weren't started properly. And so he had heard about a, a director that was actually let go because uh, as a direct result of starting up an LGBTQ plus um, group. And so, um, you know, rightfully so, he, he was a little scared. Um, so what we had to do that whole first year was really do our research and, um, you know, call around different schools and, and ask, you know, why did this happen and try to understand the context behind behind that decision. Um, and then the last kind of puzzle piece once once we had a plan in place was to go to the International School of Prague ISP because they had a, a very successful chapter called um, Spectrum. And um, we had reached out to them and said, you know, we heard that you have this great LGBTQ plus group um, and we'd love to come if you'll have us and show us around and and uh, let us join you know one of one of your sessions and kind of understand your journey how how you guys were successful in, in doing this and they welcomed us with open arms and we had such a great time I took two of my journalism students who were really the leaders behind this movement who just graduated um, called Yuana and Mara and um, they, they went with the mission to also write another article about this to, to show people what was happening at Prague and, and how it was successful and how it wasn't as big of a deal as, as people made it out to be. You know, I think, I think that's a big takeaway from my experience is that it seemed like this really scary thing to a lot of people. And then once we actually had it in place, <laughs> we, we haven't had any issues at all. Um, and a big part of that is what ISP taught us is, you know, one, it needs to come from the students. Um, two, you know, if you, if you use the mission statement to your advantage, you know, um, so for example, the International School of Prague, their mission statement is to engage, inspire, and empower. So if you kind of 
sell this idea to your school and, you know, with this in mind, how can you say no to a club that's engaging, inspiring, and empowering LGBTQ plus youth? You really don't have an, an argument. Um, so yeah, I don't know if I answered your question because I think I went off on a tangent, but um, there's there's a lot of layers to that question. And I think that I, I haven't yet been to a school that's quote unquote ready, you know, to to start up an, an initiative like this. But I think I think we just need to do it. Um, students need the representation and so do staff. Um, so do parents. The whole community needs to know that they're, they're our allies and their children are going to be taken care of and they're going to be seen and they're going to see themselves in the school. Um, I don't, I don't think there's anything more important than that. Yeah. You know, and I really appreciate what you say about, uh, you know, it's one of those things where if you wait until you're ready, I mean, you know, you kind of have to unpack what do we even mean by ready, because to a certain extent, the group is going to be about bringing, you know, awareness, um, you know, and, and I think if you're just waiting for everyone to be aware, it, it, you're going to be waiting forever. But mm -hmm. I, I, I don't want to underestimate what you say about, you know, it's so important that it's coming from the students, mm. but it, you know, in my experience, there's almost a step before that, that I, I think sometimes we don't talk about enough and that's making sure the students, I either have that opportunity or mm. it feels in some ways safe for them Absolutely. to, you know, even bridge that. So, I mean, do you, do you have any thoughts on what was happening? Like, what was the recipe that allowed for that next really crucial step to happen for, you know, it to come from the kids, uh, to, you know, for the, for the students to know, like, okay, we're going to start just, you know, getting ready to get ready. Um, yeah, right. you know, what, what, what was going on there? Do you think, yeah, do you have any sort of guesses almost? <laughs> well, I know, um, to be honest, uh, <laughs> This might, might sound horrible, but to be honest, you know, it, it was adults that, that wanted to start this. Um, but the, the director, especially, and I, I think, I think it's important that you said, you know, it, it should at least appear in the beginning stages that it is coming from kids. And it was kids who were asking for this, but as you said, like, if something's not in place, students often aren't equipped to start something like this from scratch. It's, it's hard even for adults who have done this before. Um, so kind of what we did is we had a group of, of teachers who were really passionate about getting this started. And we would meet and talk about steps that we need to do to get this done. And, um, you know, most, most of the people who helped me were counselors. And so they had the data, you know, of how many people had come to their office, um, you know, struggling with their sexuality and feeling like it wasn't safe to be who they were. They knew, you know, they had data to support that there was a real need for this at our school. And so we kind of met and, and shared all of all of our knowledge, um, you know, people had start, started up GSAs at their old schools, what had worked, what hadn't. We did the research together. And then kind of our final step was, okay, now we bring in the kids. And can we identify students who are 
leaders who are comfortable taking on this challenge and are comfortable putting their name behind this initiative? And are they also students who feel comfortable writing about this or at least going on record with one of my reporters and documenting this? Um, you know, so it's not just us doing this, um, you know, and kind of in isolation, but it's us doing this very publicly and writing articles and then sharing it with the community of, you know, this awesome thing that, that these kids are doing. And so, yeah, it, in a way it did come from the kids because they were very excited. You know, they, they were like, Oh, thank God that you gave us the tools to be able to do this. But of course, you know, you do have to have those adults behind the scenes kind of, um, willing to, to stir that pot and get it ready to pass on to the students who desperately need it and are really excited to take that next step. And I, I really appreciate just, you know, what you've outlined is kind of a partnership, but even that factor of, you know, counselors having that data, um, you know, be, because I think sometimes, you know, what I see is schools think, oh, this is, you know, it's going to be kind of like a singular facet of our school that will look at this. And, it, you know, it, it isn't about that. I think when we're talking about anything identities based, we have to be looking, you know, at all of uh, all of the different intersections of, of the school and, and how they merge together. And I'm wondering, you know, you, you're talking a few times about this idea of how important documentation is. Mm -hmm. And I know that, you know, we, we sort of often preach the values of reflection to students. But I think what you have is such an authentic example of the power of documentation, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and using tools of social media and, and, you know, journalism as well to sort of let's really think very carefully about what we're documenting, who we're documenting it for, um, and, and what that might mean. And, and I'm kind of just wondering from the student perspective, you know, like what sort of things are you either hearing them say, or, you know, because, you know, you've had a few really big success stories. So, uh, you know, I can only imagine that it's, they have so, some sort of plans in the works of how do we continue to build on this? Mm. Um, you know, or, or in what ways do you hear students understanding now? Like, yeah, this is why documentation really matters or, you know, telling the, the story of the learning journey is really can, can potentially be quite a powerful thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I bring up that article again by Aries, I think that really shook up our community and people really took notice like, wow, people from all around the world are reading, reading this girl's story. I, I want to be that girl, you know, I want to be that person, um, to write that story. And so, um, you know, at first when I started this, the journalism program at the school, I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> you know, I, I had planned to come here as a, a trailing spouse and I was going to start up my own writing business and I, I had planned to actually get out of teaching for, for a while. And uh, our principal at the time saw my resume and saw all my writing experience and he asked, oh, are you interested in coming and starting up a journalism program? <laughs> I thought, sure, why not? Um, that could be fun. And so, you know, first couple of days of class, I'm like, so, uh, we're going to treat this like a startup business and let's have a logo competition. And, uh, what are we going to call this thing? What do we want it to be? 
Uh, you know, and at first the kids were really like, who's going to read this? Mm. Why would we have a website or a paper written by students in a class? You know, <laughs> like I think they were so programmed and I still see this, you know, when students enter my class, they always write essays. It's because we're so trained to write essays that they really don't know how to do anything else. And so I, I think that they were thinking this is going to be a class where I write essays and then publish it for other people to read. And mm -hmm. I told them, no one wants to read an essay. I used to be an English teacher and I don't want to read essays. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's really re retraining them to, to write in a direct way and then write for a specific audience. So, you know, we talk about things like proximity and prominence and um, developing an angle that's going to be interesting to their audience, which is students. Um, and they're so not used to that. And so once, once they get the idea of, okay, well, what are students interested in? And, you know, they struggle to come up with ideas and I say, well, what are y'all talking about? <laughs> you know, what, what, what do you want to know? And a lot of times what they're talking about or what they want to know about or really want to have conversations that kind of these casual conversations don't allow for because you have to have the research. And again, that word that I keep mentioning is context. Um, I, you know, you, you really have to delve in and they're often controversial topics. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and so the best stories, the most widely shared stories have been about important controversial topics that students want to talk about, but rarely get the opportunity to do so. And especially from the point and perspective of another student, you know, if they're reading their words for them. And I think there's such a power in that is not only highlighting student voice, but, you know, having that, we wrote it for each other. I think is so cool and so important. And it really drives what the kids want to write about and what's important to them. And, um, you know, we've, we've published so many stories about LGBTQ plus issues within Romania, um, within that, you know, local context, which is so important um, for a local paper. And um, I think it's, I think it's important work. And you know, a part of my class is looking at analytics. So the kids learn about Google Analytics. And one of my favorite things that I get to do, you know, when we're in person or it, it, there's a bigger effect when you're in person versus Zoom, which we did most of this year, was, um, you know, teaching them a little bit an about analytics and then projecting the map of where in the world are people reading this? And, you know, they just think our school, you know, I'm only going to see Romania on this map. And then all of a sudden they see, whoa, why are so many people reading this in the United States? Why are so many people reading, reading this, you know, in um, all name your country. I mean, we, we have reach in, you know, South America and a lot of different places in um uh, really all over the map. And it's, you know, I ask them, well, why do you think that is? And, you know, then they realize, oh, well, I guess, I guess family, you know, I have family in Israel and 
they probably shared it with their friends and, oh, well, you shared this on, on Facebook and I guess anyone can see it then. And um, So they realized that, you know, it's no longer just an essay that your language teacher reads, you know, and, and you never really think about it again. It's, it's something that you worked hard on and you did a really good job of, and so it's published. And now the whole world can read your words and make changes based on your opinion, you know, your teenage opinion, which a lot of times people dismiss, you know, we're like, they're teenagers. What do you have to say? They have to say a lot. And a lot of it is really smart, important things that we should be listening to. You know, and I love so many things that you just said, but I, you know, what really stands out is this idea that as educators, there's this opportunity, like there's never really been before to have an authentic audience. It's there. I mean, Mm. you know, when I first started teaching, it would have been impossible. It would have been, you know, photocopies, mailing, but certainly to get an international audience, you know, the postage alone would have been an obstacle there. Oh yeah. Um, uh, you know, and, and of course that it, it is really exciting. And I love what you were saying earlier about, we don't just want people reading headlines. We do want people digging in. And, and I love that you said, you know, this is also about students grappling with their opinions mm. and, you know, getting curious about what do I really think and why do I really think it. Um, and, and certainly, you know, I, I think even adult learners are struggling with this piece of doing research of, you know, kind of getting out of their filter bubble. So I wonder what kind of conversations that, you know, you might be having around doing the research, because I know, you know, in, in certain contexts, you say research and everyone's eyes glaze over. <laughs> right. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm guessing, you know, you're describing kind of the passion of your students and what are some of those lessons around that, that research lens that, um, you know, they've come across that, you know, actually you're giving them the space to say, you know, th- this is about what the conversations that you're having, and this is an opportunity to expand on them. Mm. Um, so in, in what ways is this maybe just sort of expanding on how, you know, having those research skills is, is powerful and is also necessary? Yeah. Great question. I, I think, you know, I like that you said our, our eyes are glazing over as we hear the word research because so do the students. You know? mm-hmm. um, but I tell them the best research comes from primary sources, from talking to other people. Um, and that's the research I want, you know? So if you're writing, if you're writing a story on why we need, um, Ally Week at the school, for example, let's talk to some of our, our queer staff members. <laughs> you get their stories and, you know, um, interview them and understand their stories and find out what would it have meant to them. Um, you know, that's research. Talking to people, um, I constantly ask them, you know, what is truth? I mean, is there such a thing? Um and then, you know, they all come to the same conclusion is that, wow, I, I don't know. Like, I, I guess not, not really, we can get to as close, close a version to a truth as possible, but that takes so many different perspectives. Um, and it takes 
time, you know, a lot of students when they come in my class, um, you know, because part of my expectation is that, of course, they do online research for background information and context, but they have to have at least at least two different um, primary sources or interviews. And a lot of them are really scared about it and they don't want to do it. And they say, well, can I just email my questions? I think it'd be a lot easier. I'm like, no, you're not going to get, you're not going to get real answers. And how can you possibly ask follow-up questions, which is where the juicy stuff lies. You know, that's where the real good stuff comes in is the follow-up questions and listening to people and understanding um, their perspective. I think that's what journalists do is is talk to people, get on the ground, find out what's really going on. You're not going to find that on a screen. And, you know, again, I, I kind of just think it's sort of like one of the enduring understandings there is listening really matters and is one of those essential, you know, lifelong subject wide skills that we do want students working on. And I just think the authentic opportunity and learning experience there that you're kind of scaffolding for them is, is wonderful. Um, I know that you literally just finished ally week at your school. It's just wrapped. Um, can you talk us through a little bit of, you know, kind of what the, the blueprint was for that event? Um, and, you know, and, and now that as of a few hours ago, it, it's over kind of looking at what you set out to do and looking at what was, um, you know, what are, what are some of the thoughts that, um, or the questions really that might be on your mind or might be on, uh, your student group's mind? Mm. Well, yes. Thank you for mentioning that. Um, it is 6.30 PM on a Friday here. So if I sound incoherent throughout this <laughs> interview, I'm going to blame that. Um, but uh, it went pretty well. To be honest, there wasn't too much of a blueprint um, because this is coming the week before our last week of the school year of the never ending pandemic school year where we've been online almost the entire school year. Uh, we've actually only been back in person for about a month. Um, and so the kids are exhausted. And so are we, but, you know, the seniors actually who just graduated, Yuana and Mara, who I mentioned earlier, they, um, they came up to me and they said, <laughs> they're just amazing. They said, you know, Miss Stevens, we know you're tired, <laughs> but we really want to do ally week and we think it's important. And I said, I'm never too tired for that. You know, let's, let's make this happen. But we also have to realize that everyone's tired and there's still pandemic restrictions. And so we have to make this easy on ourselves. And I think the goal is really just to have visibility and representation at this point in the year. Um, and so that was kind of our blueprint is, okay, well, let's, let's do something. Um, and so Yuana and Mara um, wanted to focus on celebrating uh, LGBTQ plus arts. Um, and so they had this great idea to interview a DP student from Portugal who recently just finished her art exhibition on, um, it was focused on the rights of the LGBTQ plus community in her home country of Angola. 
she created these amazing pieces of mixed um, mixed types of art, sculpture and painting. Um, and she did this from interviewing um, people from Angola in in the LGBTQ plus community and um, understood the power of stories and the power of identity and kind of fighting against uh, oppression. And it was really remarkable. And so that was their inspiration uh, for the whole week. And so we kicked off the week by publishing yet another article on the bite, um, <laughs> a Q&A with this person. Um, and it, it was awesome. I just, you know, I, I edit and read everything that comes out on our website. And it's the best part of my job besides working with young people is being able, I learn so much and I get to, <laughs> I, I get to have a part of all of these stories. And this young person was really inspirational. So that's what we did on Monday and they came back to the school after graduating and <laughs> we we spent the afternoon cutting out our rainbow colored hearts and putting up a pride flag in our atrium which is you know the entrance to the school that everyone walks through and um again you know going back to the beginning of our conversation this is something that would never have happened when I first arrived at the school um to see a rainbow flag, a giant rainbow flag when you come in and all of these hearts with a black permanent marker, um, you know, with directions to, to write loving and accepting messages to members of the LGBTQ plus community. And it was beautiful. You know, we put this up in the atrium, um, and then by the end of the day, it was almost full. And, you know, I, I did monitor it and I have had, I did have to remove some hearts that were not kind um, or, you know, were not something that I wanted other people to see. And so, you know, that happens. And I think that's a reality of having this type of group at a school. But to me, that's just further proof that we need these types of weeks and we need these types of clubs. Um, so those were the two real big things that, that they wanted to do is highlight this artist. Um, we also had a list of, of queer artists to, for people to follow on Instagram. Um, you know, we put all, put this around the school and then we worked with our librarian, uh, Christina to create an LGBTQ plus uh, library display, which was awesome. Um, you know, there was about 50 books on display. Um, and then she also created uh, a destiny collection where students could go on and see all of the different titles that we have on offer to check out over the summer and be able to have, have queer characters um, that, that, that they could that they could read and be able to identify with the protagonists um, or, you know, people their own age who are struggling with gender identity issues or what have you, you know, um, that type of representation is so important. And so that was another big, big deal for them is students need to know that this is here. You know, if nothing else, 
they need to know that this is here. Um, and they need to be able to be able to check that out and have that representation. So yeah, we had, um, we had pretty, you know, we really initially wanted to get in some guest speakers, but we're still not able to mix grades at the school and the logistics were, were pretty challenging. We did have some great guest speakers last year, even just being entirely on zoom, but in a way it was easier to plan because we knew that we were all online. Uh, so that was a full online ally week. And I'm happy to share uh, resources with you on that because we were pretty proud of, of the stuff that we were able to do. But yeah, um, that, that was basically what we did for, for this week. And um, yeah. sorry. I just, well, I was just going to say again, you know, what what's I think what I hope folks are hearing is again, just the interdisciplinary nature of this, mm -hmm. you know, and that you're, you're pulling from your school has an IBDP arts program. Um, you know, again, that we're, that we're sort of tapping into all the different parts of student, not just life, but student learning as well. Um, and I think just showing that connection to the curriculum and the potential there can be really powerful because I think, unfortunately, I, I sometimes hear people thinking about LGBTQ plus perspectives as like this outside the realm of school thing. So mm. how does that belong in school? But seeing that it is inherently a part of school, um, you know, and, and just sort of like opening some of the doors to, you know, the various ways that it is. Um, Absolutely. I think I think it needs to be part part of the school. Um, you know, a, a big win for us uh, when we when we started the group two years ago was that we offered safe zone training for teachers um, and just being able to have a little sign on your door, you know, that this is this is a safe space, this is inclusive. And then also, you know, our next step is, which is going to be led by our students is how to integrate LGBTQ plus authors in English class or, you know, making sure that, yeah, it's not, it's not something that we just do on the side. It's, it's part of who we are. It's part of our community and we need to be able to, to have that visibility, I think is so important. Um, and, you know, I think you asked about a, a takeaway, something, few takeaways, um, you know, we, I told you that I had to remove um, some of the hearts from the display. Um, and, you know, I think part of being an ally is having tough conversations um, and being uncomfortable a lot of the times. <laughs> and especially at the end of this type of year, it's easier not to, right? It, it would have been easier for me to just put these hearts in my backpack and walk on and pretend it didn't happen. But uh, instead, you know, I showed it to the other members and we decided to use it as a learning opportunity. Um, so we, in our advisories, we, we had some clear messaging of, you know, why do we have ally week? Um, you know, throughout the, throughout the whole week, I heard these questions like, why, why do gay people have a whole month or, you know, I, I even had some students 
they were joking, but it was not funny. Uh, you know, why can't I have heterosexual week? And it's like, because you always have heterosexual week. You know, this is so this is kind of learning about privilege and understanding other people and why this is important. So, you know, we have this communication bulletin board that that people see every morning in our homerooms. And so the last message for today was throughout this week, students have asked, why do we need to have an ally week? And then we just had three bullet points. It's because LGBTQ plus youth seriously contemplate suicide at least three times the rate of heterosexual youth. And that source is from the CDC. Second, LGBTQ plus youth are nearly twice as likely to be called names, be verbally harassed or physically assaulted at school compared to their non-LGBTQ plus peers. And that's from Mental Health America. At AISB, we want to cultivate an accepting community where everyone can feel safe regardless of sexual orientation or gender identity. And so again, it's using these ty this type of documentation to say, this is why, and how can you possibly argue with that? And now you know the importance. And so maybe the person who did, did put offensive um, language or took the time to be malicious, my hope is that they saw that and they thought to themselves, you know, uh, they at least thought about the possible implications. And, you know, when I talked to my advisory, I said, something as little as having this rainbow of accepting messages at the entrance of the school could save someone's life. And that's why we have Ally Week. You know, and and again, it's it's remarkable to hear you talk about that, and and also just talk about that this is you know in a few years you went from not having a group to having a group, uh, and you know I I think what you say about of course it's uncomfortable, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and and I think reminding ourselves it's uncomfortable because there's been this gigantic void in the conversation this whole time. So whenever you've been silent around any issue. For long enough, you know, it, it, you're going to, yeah, you're going to have to kind of go through that discomfort in starting and sustaining that conversation. And and I would add, you know, I think when schools and when groups like yours take on that challenge, it isn't only for the LGBTQ plus population. And you know, of course, there's also recognizing all the research behind the fact that sexuality is on a spectrum that it's not mm -hmm. always fixed. And I think it, even if you do have heterosexual students who are forever, that is how they identify, um, this is also for them, you know, especially mm -hmm. in international schools that report to say, you know, we want globally minded citizens. Um, but I, I, I think often of a, it was a podcast from Embedded on NPR. Um, the episode is called, This Is Not a Joke. Uh, and they sort of talk about that, how that seed of hate speech, how if that goes unchecked, how problematic that is. And I think this is also about helping students, you know, even when they make casual so-called jokes, understanding, you know, is that a joke? But then what is, you know, what comes next and what comes after that? Um, and, and sort of, you know, thinking much more critically about 
um, about that kind of language and about those kind of comments and, you know, what's, what's a little bit further down the road, um, for that. So, you know, thank you so much for, for sharing the story. Uh, all of the, the various links that you have mentioned, we'll be sure to include in the show notes, um, and, and listeners, uh, you know, you mentioned Jennifer, that a lot of those articles are open for comments. Mm-hmm. Uh, so listeners, if you can leave a comment, you know, I, I do think, I love that you said, you know, students sometimes think who is going to read this. And I hope, okay. especially during pride month, um, those of us who consider ourselves allies will say, you know, I am going to read this. I am going to lead a com- leave a comment. So, um, you know, with that, Jennifer, is there anything else that, um, you, you would like to share with us, or I know it's Friday night and you just had a huge week and you've got one week to go. Uh, but I'll, I'll leave sort of the, the final word or the final question to you if you'd like it. Oh, no. Um, just thank you so much, Trisha, for, for having me. And thank you so much for the work you do. Um, I, you know, I've been a fan for a while and I subscribe to your newsletter. And I just think it's I think it's amazing that that, you know, we have a group of educators, you know, cause I've, I've met you on Twitter and there's, there's a lot of us now who are fighting for equality and having these tough conversations and starting these really important initiatives at our school, regardless, you know, despite fears or, or uncomfortableness. And I just think it's awesome. And uh, so thank you for the work that you're doing. Well, thank you. That, that's really kind. And I, I really do think it's the, the importance of that network piece and, uh, you know, having conversations together is, is really, really important and um, helps us feel supported. And I would mention, you know, the newsletter started out of a workshop that I hosted at my school and it was a group and it was sort of, do we want to keep having these conversations? Great. And, um, you know, I kind of think that's a question, hopefully that all schools are asking themselves during June, you know, if a conversation has been started in light of pride, does it end on the last day of June or are we going to come back to it? Um, so thank you so much again for, for sharing all of that. Um, and I, I, yeah, I'd love to, um, to touch base again next year at some point and see, you know, as you said, um, the past two years, pride has looked a little different for schools. So hopefully, um, you know, it will look different next year, but in a different way. Uh, and, and I'd love to touch base and see where your, where your group is at. at that yeah, point. I'd, I'd love to as well. Um, they just actually announced that Bucharest pride is going to be taking place in August this year, actually the week before school starts. So I'm hoping that my students will be here and want to go and maybe we can create a nice, um, photo essay to put up on, on the bite website. Um, and, and we can put that out there as, as a nice celebration to start the year. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> something to look forward to and we'll be sure to watch out for it. Um, and again, hopefully listeners become avid fans and readers of AISB's <laughs> The Bite. Thank you so much. Thanks Jennifer.